I've listened to Room for Squares by John Mayer for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. And I'm Connor. Yes, you are. And this week, we're talking about Room for Squares by John Mayer. This is where we leave our streak of good keyboardists for a minute. Wow, man. Starting off calling John Mayer not a good keyboardist. I don't know if there's even a keyboard on this album that I can remember. Doesn't mean he's not a good keyboardist. Well, that's, yeah, sure. I mean, it's true. Just in general, though, this isn't a keyboard-heavy album. What is this a heavy album on? It's a heavy album of guitar for sure that acoustic kind of singer songwriter style this is this is when john mayer was in that era we'll talk a little bit more about it as we progress through his career but he doesn't always stay the way that he is on this album he kind of evolves musically do you know a lot about john mayer no can't say that i do well i know you know some of his songs i actually think it's impossible that you don't absolutely absolutely you do what if i said waiting on the world to change don't recognize the title you don't recognize waiting on the world to change don't recognize the title doesn't mean i don't recognize the song you'd know it if you heard it at least i think you would maybe i'm wrong i just thought that was one of those inescapable songs that was just kind of everywhere oh i'm trying to look up his songs I don't recognize this song, no. No way. It's everywhere. Is it? Absolutely. Like where? All over. Is this a new song? It came out in 2006. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I I don't recognize this song. Interesting. I guess I thought it was more around than it maybe was. Either way, let's talk about John Mayer. Since you know nothing, you will now know something. John Mayer was born in 1977 in Connecticut, and he was inspired to start playing guitar when he was 13, and his dad rented a guitar for him to learn how to play. His early inspiration came from a cassette tape of Stevie Ray Vaughan, who you may recall from episode 36 back in the day. Never heard of him. No, 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 I know you have, although it wouldn't surprise me if you thought you hadn't. So he started doing this deep dive, really deep dive into blues music through other artists like Otis Rush, B.B. King, and Buddy Guy. His obsession with blues was so deep, in fact, that his parents had him checked out by a psychiatrist to make sure that he was okay. He was that into blues. He wrote his first music of his own at 17 after he had a heart incident that sent him to the hospital. Mayer went to Berklee College of Music for about a year, and in 1997, he moved to Atlanta to start making music with his friend Clay Cook as the duo act Lo-Fi Masters. Shortly thereafter, John Mayer split off to go his own way. They had some creative differences. Uh, Mayer wanted to go kind of more of a pop, mass appeal direction. After a performance at South by Southwest, you know, the big annual music festival in Austin, and a debut EP that includes a couple of tracks that we'll cover in a minute. Mayer signed with Aware Records in 2001, and he got to work. A couple of those first songs got reworked and converted into tracks that became his first proper LP, and today's subject, Room for Squares. It came out on June 5th, 2001. The title is a reference to, and in fact, it's directly lifted from, a 1963 jazz album by Hank Mobley. The album took a while to get its footing, but once it caught on, it really took off. 
It topped Billboard's Heat Seekers chart in 2002, and No Such Thing, Your Body is a Wonderland, and Why Georgia all met big, big radio success. Over its first year, steady, consistent sales kind of took it all the way up to platinum pretty quickly. In fact, its consistency made it Mayer's best-selling album to date, even now, uh, moving more than 5 million units in the U.S. alone. Wow. I know. That's pretty big. And it's also three times platinum in Australia, platinum in Canada and New Zealand, and silver in the United Kingdom. And it charted pretty well in a couple other places, too, peaking at eight in the United States, five in Australia, six in New Zealand, nine in Canada, and only making it to number 128 in the United Kingdom. Not as popular over there. The album actually earned him a best new artist grammy nomination and a win for your body is a wonderland in 2003 and uh that's kind of the history of this album so he starts out on room for squares with this poppy singer songwriter sound like we said it's very light very acoustic sing-alongable and it's got a lot of that mass appeal that he was looking for when he started performing with lo-fi masters and then he decides that he wants to pivot in time he starts to release music with a little more spice little more flavor to it he started to work with jazz and blues musicians and he really kind of got back to his inspirational roots over time kind of making more of that jazz influenced music he also really expanded his collaboration horizons working alongside artists like his heroes buddy guy and bb king and also putting out songs with notable artists like eric clapton and even kanye west so take notes john mayer take notes He also went on this tear of releasing live albums, calling them as is, as slash is, like this is how I played it, right? That's kind of the the gimmick of it. And a lot of those are out and about. People really loved him for his technical ability as well as his songwriting. So he can play live pretty well. With his third album called Continuum, he finally decided to, quote, close up shop on acoustic sensitivity. Two huge results. That album's biggest single was the one we talked about that I guess it wasn't big enough to reach Connor, uh, waiting on the world to change. It's hard to reach me, to be fair. Yeah, it's true. You're a rock under a rock somewhere else. Under a rock in a glass house. Yes, I don't remember what you said. (laughs) It's been a long time. Rocks living under rocks in glass houses. Yeah, but what's interesting about it is like he's still got that acoustic style in his tool belt. It's not a thing that he leans on anymore, but it's nice that he can sprinkle that in when he wants it, even though he's got a lot more to offer. Of course, Mayer's had his share of controversy in his career, too. Uh, I looked up a handful. He's done some wild interviews back in the day. Some stuff that really makes you raise an eyebrow. Uh, But we'll kind of gloss over that. Suffice it to say, he's had some moments. But over the course of his entire career thus far, he's put out eight studio albums and almost as many live albums with seven. He's also taken on ten solo tours and then co-tours with artists like Counting Crows, Cheryl Crow, a lot of crows. A lot of crows. Yeah. He's done extensive work for Dead & Company as well. Plus, he opened for the police's sting in 2004. How many crows does it take to make a murder? Three, I think. I mean, two is just a pair. Okay, so three is a murder. So he's one crow away from a murder. Yeah, he might be. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Did we count the crows in Counting Crows? Oh, I don't know. Because there might be more than one. Sounds like there's at least two there. That's a good point. Yeah, it's not called Counting Crow. Counting Crows. That implies more than one. Mm Mm-hmm. It implies a murder. You heard it here first. John Mayer, murder. They're they're linked. John Mayer is linked to murder (laughs) because he's toured with a lot of crows. (laughs) Ridiculous. John Mayer has seven Grammy Awards on 19 nominations. His first win was in 2003 for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance, and that was for the song Your Body is a Wonderland. 
His most recent Grammy win came back in 2009. A long time ago. At this point, yes. He's also been nominated for and won several MTV Music Video Awards, American Music Awards, some ASCAP Awards, and a People's Choice Award. The people chose him. And in 2002, the Polestar Concert Industry Awards named his tour the Best New Artist Tour. So, how about that? Another trivia tidbit about John Mayer, much like we talked about with his inspiration, Stevie Ray Vaughan, John Mayer is a huge guitar collector. He's got over 200 guitars, and he has custom, very, very limited runs of Fender Stratocasters, Martin guitars, and amplifiers. He's got all kinds of Mayer custom and Mayer-inspired material out there. If you know where to look, you could find a lot of John Mayer brand guitars. That's interesting. But with our information out of the way, I think it's time to figure out what more bizarre facts we can learn. Is the mixtaper ready to go? Well, let's get them all out here. Yes, let's. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hello, hello. Glad to see you again. It's all right to see you. Thanks. <laughs> I, I guess. So last week we had six big old facts about Elton John. Very sneaky facts that even incorporated lies into other lies. Yeah. I'm yep, curious yep. to see what tricks you brought this time. I'm a little worried. All right, let's see. Ooh, which one of these is a better starting fact? I like how sometimes you plan them all out, you know, beat by beat ahead of time. And then sometimes we really just throw care to the wind. <laughs> sometimes even make up facts on the spot. <laughs> Gotta keep you guessing. It swings wide with you. We'll start with this one. He performed on a train. Right off the bat, I'm gonna say this is a lot more believable than performing on a cow. <laughs> yeah, but you went true with that one, so... <laughs> I, I did so why on a train i mean where was he headed oh this was like a booked gig oh was it for someone cool that was training across the country or i don't know something they just wanted entertainment on the train so they were like oh john mayer it was for a holiday train ride oh like an event then where people would buy tickets yeah. to ride you know the proverbial polar express i mean sure <laughs> <laughs> less polar express but yes yeah, right everything else that's pretty cool Although, I can't imagine that'd be super convenient because train cars are long and narrow. And so, like, was he just in one car and everybody crammed into that car that could fit? Or did he, like, go car to car and do a little show for each section of the train? How do you how do you execute the logistics? No, he he had a specific train car that was, like, the music car. Like, the, each car of the train was, mm. like, one was, like, the food car, one was the music car. Like, so you would, people would just kind of travel around and he was just performing songs, you know, on the train. Was this a one-time thing or is this, like, a repeated, does he get invited back? No, this was a one-time thing. How much did he get paid? Ah, no idea. Okay. Probably not too awfully much this was early in his career right i see oh yeah how early like when was this before his first album came out or some other time yeah yeah this was in 1998 which i believe was before his first album if i was paying attention to your rundown yeah yeah should be but not long before okay i'm gonna say this one's a spin one was spin i guess i have to i i i think the logistics of performing on a train i just don't get it i think i mean people wouldn't want to i don't know you wouldn't want to miss the show would you why would you sit in another car if well, it, you act like this is like a full show and not just like just ambient music he's just performing music for the entire train ride and people are moving around like he's just like like people who perform at like a bar or, sure, or sure. whatever it's not like a concert it's you buy tickets for the train ride and he was the musical entertainment in one of the cars he's just a part of it right right <laughs> yeah well that's that is a little different of an environment <laughs> just to be clear i mean if you want to go 
spin still. That's fun. I just want to make sure we're clear about the environment. Yeah, I think I'm still <laughs> leaning towards a spin. Okay. Didn't even ask me what the train was or anything. I had all this information. You, I never know what you have and don't. It's the bag of carrots again. <laughs> what, what was the train? It was the world famous skunk train. Oh, okay. So we've got a lot more to ask about here. So let's... <laughs> No, you. I mean, if you're going to lock in the spin, we'll move on. Oh, no, I mean, we'll linger for a minute. What is the skunk train? It's been around since 1885. Okay. The historic skunk has made its way through old-growth redwood groves over scenic pressel bridges, through spectacular tunnels, and into the heart of the Noyo River Canyon. Today's riders enjoy the same pristine views that have remained largely unchanged for well over a century. Okay. I looked them up. Why is it called? called the skunk oh i don't know i just maybe it's like a black train with a white stripe maybe it hit a skunk one time maybe it stinks it's a red it's got a black like caboose right that's the that's the first one no the caboose is the last one. Oh, that's the last one what's the first one the engine i guess yeah i don't know sometimes there's an engine on the front and the back so you can go in either direction yeah that's true or have a tug of war if you're really ambitious oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> it looks like it maybe has a black front and then all the cars are red blue i don't know what's going on with this train okay Okay. But it's been doing train rides since 1885. Has anyone else performed on the skunk train? I mean, I don't know. I didn't look into that. But you can book it for weddings, group events, lodging. I don't know what that means. You could sleep on the train. All sorts of stuff going on. Apparently, they also have a rail bike experience where you can get on like one of the platforms that you have to like crank yourself to move. One of the little pump cars. Yeah. 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 There's special events going on right now. I don't know what it was called back when he did it, but not a sponsor. Skunk train, not a sponsor. It's the Christmas tree train where you can meet Mr. Skunk and the giant Christmas tree. <laughs> what? Our Mr. Skunk and the giant Christmas tree train runs through the month of December and you and your family can experience the beauty of this historic train and meet Mr. Skunk Santa. <laughs> is the Santa a skunk? I don't know. I'm trying to find pictures. So this has only reinforced my belief that this is a spin. This is just what's going on now. I have no idea what was going on back when he did it. Of course. But, but what I think is you just found out about the skunk train i think oh it's another one of those you think yeah i think you just wanted a way to introduce me to mr skunk santa so i'm gonna say this one's a spin you know me so well this is a spin oh it is okay sometimes when you set it up like saying oh you know me so well then you say this is a fact you got it wrong and then that really is disheartening yeah i just i learned about the skunk train and wanted to talk about it that's not actually 100 true i had the idea of him performing on the train and then i learned about the skunk train and i was like well now we have to <laughs> talk about the skunk train you just learned about the specific train yeah, yeah uh-huh, i see apparently if you want to ride the pudding creek express train you can get tickets for 50 bucks Ew. but if you want to do the rail bikes on the no yo that's like starting at 500 bucks i gotta say a pudding creek sounds awful sounds goopy and yeah. anyway willy wonka stuff yeah I can't find any pictures of Skunk Santa. That is a shame. So John Mayer, not on the skunk train. Nope. But he is doing the thing in our next fact, maybe. Maybe. And that thing would be eating pickles. Okay, John Mayer is eating pickles right now. Uh, Specifically in a contest. A contest? A pickle-eating contest. Did he win it? Yeah. Okay, so John Mayer won a pickle-eating contest <laughs> is, is the fact here. Yes. <laughs> what an interesting contest. How many pickles did he eat to win? 
Don't know. Okay. I don't have a lot of information about this one. Okay, so where is this pickle contest happening? Who hosts the pickle contest? His high school. Oh, hi. Okay, so this is a while back. Does he like pickles? I mean, you must if you win a contest like that. I would hope so. (laughs) What was the prize? What did he win for eating a lot of pickles? The principal's parking spot. He got to park in the principal's space for eating pickles? Yep. So the principal offered up his space to the kid who ate the most pickles. (laughs) Yeah, this was a contest that was happening in senior year of high school. You like paid dinner as a fundraiser thing for like, my guess is probably like the student body or something. But you paid dinner and the winner got to park in the principal's space for a week. For a whole week. Wow. Yeah. That's five whole school days. Yeah. What's his favorite kind of pickle? Like, is he a dill guy? You know, what? I don't know, but he did talk about how he had to eat a spicy pickle. Uh Uh-oh. As part of the contest? Yeah, he's, he says that there was a, it was like a hodgepodge, like it was a pickle basket Ew. filled with all sorts of different kind of pickles. I don't know if it was actually a basket. That's just what he <laughs> called it. And you just pulled pickles out and ate as fast as you, as many as you could. And there was all sorts of different ones in there. And he ended up pulling a, a, a hot pickle. Very interesting. So he won and he got to park in the space. Yeah, yeah. Did he love it? It was his proudest moment from high school. That was his proudest moment was eating a lot of pickles. Yes. At least that's how he answered the interviewer question when they were talking about his childhood and everything growing up. And they said, what's something you're proud of? And he brought up pickles. Interesting. I think I'm going to say this one's a fact. <laughs> Lock it in fact on this one. Yeah, I guess it, it just, I don't know. Sure. Why not? This is another spin. Oh, well <laughs> I thought I might be onto something. I just, it seemed like a very high school fundraiser thing to do, you know? Yeah, I agree. That's why I made it up. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'm sorry, John Mayer. I guess I thought you were more of a pickle eater. Pickle champion. Pickled, yeah. Pickle king, John Mayer. Pickle king. <laughs> John Mayer, the pickle king. <laughs> Can that be a spinning award? Pickle king? Pickle king. Yeah, wait, you're right. John Mayer, you might have lost the contest, but you are the spin it pickle king. But you're our pickle king. <laughs> Congratulations. Just get in touch with us to claim your prize. Yeah, let us know. If, yeah. That's not one I thought we'd be giving out today. But my third one, ramping up. We've gone from trains to pickles. Yep, we did. Up next is his love of watches. Ooh, what about his love of watches? Just that he owns a lot of them. Mm, ambiguous phrases like he owns a lot of watches are always dangerous. Yeah. Because you could say some number that's really big. How many watches does he have? I don't know the number of watches, but I know the amount of money. Okay. That doesn't necessarily tell me much because I know some watches can get pretty pricey. But how much money has he spent on watches? Well, it's time to play everybody's second favorite spinning game show. Guess that Uh, dollar amount. Darn it. Three million dollars. Higher. Higher? I almost said five million (laughs) dollars. Higher. Seven million dollars. Higher. If I said 20 million dollars. Whoa, you're going pretty high. Well, I just I want to get back out of the higher category. I want you to tell me I'm I'm too high. Well, I can't because that is the number twenty million dollars oh, wow. in watches. That's a lot of watches. Yeah. So does he keep them all wound? Are they all like accurate time? And are they all like modern watches, or does he have any? I don't know, historical ones, collectors' pieces, famous watches. 
I think most of them are more modern, at least the ones I know about. He's a big fan of like your big luxury watches like Rolex, that kind of stuff. I see. Does he wear them a lot or just like yeah. have them? I, I'm looking at several pictures of him like performing with different watches on and, and interviews with different watches on. Why? What got him started on this? I don't know what got him into it, but he's so deep into the watch war- industry, into the watch world, if you will. Yeah. He writes for and contributes to the largest watch publication on the planet whoa what watch publication is that i don't know this article just says the largest watch Me either it's just the largest watch <laughs> hang on let's look and that's really telling about how popular watches are watch time is a leading watch magazine so maybe it's that one maybe it is we'll ask him when he gets in touch with us for the award yeah when when he goes to receive the wear your finest watch to the pickle king uh coronation some of these watches are pretty cool i believe it some watches are really cool we've had collectors in the past this is a 20 million dollar collection that's a a big number where does he keep them does he have them like displayed or stored somewhere i don't know does he have like a watch closet probably keeps them on their freaking lock and key a lot of these i'm looking at are like a hundred fifty thousand dollars a watch exactly so like a 20 million dollar watch collection could be like i don't know thousands of watches or like 12 you know (laughs) it all depends he's got at least 22 because that's how many of them are in this article Mm, i see do you know what his most expensive one is or even his favorite no (laughs) all right (laughs) well i guess i'm gonna have to wing it i think this one is a Um, oh he started uh, to say fact fact i think it's a fact oh he finishes it he finishes the word yeah i went back and forth for a little bit there but honestly it's probably helpful that you don't know the name of the watch publication i think that was uh, or you're letting me get away with a bold face lie (laughs) i'm letting you get away with a watch face lie oh i think though this seems true this is a fact hey it's a fact haven't had a lot of those recently no we haven't and that's another reason i i felt like maybe it would be a fact not that that's an indicator they're surprisingly indistinct i mean some of them are really cool like that one's got diamonds all around it but like a lot of them just kind of look like normal watches not that i'd know the first thing about value i feel like most watches look like normal watches if you're not a watch guy that's true well that's incredible i really had no idea yeah and you probably have no idea about this last fact either i <laughs> You're probably right. He once had a Krav Maga match against a famous tennis star. Wow. Lots lots of things at play here. Indeed. Krav Maga is like a, like a form of martial arts. Indeed. So he's a martial artist? Or did he just find himself in a random Krav Maga match? <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was the second one. Like, I don't know, a celebrity Krav Maga tournament. Who's the tennis star that he played against? James Blake. Mm, okay. And and did he win? I mean, he's not an athlete. He did not. I guess if he's a Krav Maga artist, then sure, maybe he is. But he did not win. Nope. How does one win Krav Maga? I, I don't know any of the specifics about form or moves or function or... Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to guess... It's like karate where it's like a point system, but maybe it's not. Right. Maybe it's like a pin-based system. Like if you pin someone or... It's probably, yeah, it's got to be one of the two, right? Or you could push him out of a ring like sumo wrestling. Oh, okay. I really don't know. How does he get himself into this situation? Who orchestrates this Krav Maga tournament? Or, and is it a tournament or just a single match? A single match. And was it like 
an event? I don't know. Did people tune in just to watch this? Or was it for fun? This was a middle school. This was in middle school. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't remember if it was middle school or high school. I was trying to find my article. So neither of them were famous at the time. No, no. I thought it was like a celebrity Krav Maga thing, but really it was just... No. Some middle school kids fighting it out. Yep. How did they discover that they did this against each other? Like, I can't remember half the people I played, like, rec league soccer with. They are, they've been friends since childhood. Oh, they were buddies? Yeah. Oh. Friendship goes all the way back to middle school when they would play Nintendo together and we're both in the same Krav Maga class. That's really cool. Have they ever played tennis against each other? Ooh, I don't know. Probably. Probably, I'd imagine. I'm going to say this one's a fact. Going with fact. Again, yeah. we did two facts in a row. I think you might have. You've thought three out of the four of these were facts. I did. I'm curious whether you know if he's stuck with Krav Maga or not. Does he still do it? Yeah, he's still he still knows it. I don't know like if you do it, really, as an adult. I have no idea. Or if it's just something you know but well use it or lose it right he told the he said in an interview watch out paparazzi when talking about it oh sounds like he's not afraid yeah well he's he is the pickle king so yeah this is what's your hearts of hearts tell you right now are you right or wrong i'm right thank you for putting that on the record because you are wrong (laughs) this is a spin (laughs) (laughs) well that's unfortunate but it's two true facts mushed together into a spin oh he does know krav maga and he was childhood friends with with a tennis star they he did not get into krav maga until later in life nor is james blake into krav maga at all (laughs) sneaky that was sneaky two half facts that actually made that one seem really believable two half facts yeah so with that we end in the classic 50 50 tie (laughs) no surprise there I'm telling you what, if you win one of these weeks, I'll let you use the principal's parking space for a week. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. That'll be the stakes for the next episode. How about that? Okay. Great. Well, we'll see you next week for more facts and more spins. Have fun riding the skunk train. Thank you. Yes, I I look forward to it. Make sure you leave some trash out under your tree for skunk claws or whatever. (laughs) I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works either, but I'm interested to find out. Go off to the untrue and do some research. Great. Have fun. Yeah. Welcome back, Connor. I have returned. Yes, you have. How about that mixed saver? What a guy. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were maybe going to get him this week. You went into that last one with the lead. Yeah, I know. Oh, and I was feeling confident. I was feeling really confident, but the double fact thing, that really threw me off. I don't think we've done many of those before that were partial facts fused together. We've done partial facts that he's turned into lies, but yeah, the fused together isn't something we've really done. Yeah, nothing in that was super false. Let's talk about the album cover on Room for Squares. Yes, let's album art. Does this album cover look familiar to you in any way? No. No? Mmm, it should. Why? Well, the album art is a bunch of squares. And you know what else is a bunch of squares? Yep, there's plenty of room for them. There is plenty of room for them. The periodic table. Yeah. This is the right side of the periodic table on the front of this album. Oh, yeah, I guess it, I guess it is. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I don't really... <laughs> know why particularly but i do know that the back half of the album like when you flip the cd over to the other side it's the other part of the periodic table so taken together it's the whole thing Interesting. in the squares is a picture of him sitting on a couch with his guitar is that a custom made guitar no that's just a normal made guitar feels like missed opportunity but all right well it feels like an opportunity that wasn't around yet that was the uh... picture was taken before he released an album so they don't just give custom guitars to anybody i mean with enough 
of money. That's true. Maybe he intimidated him with his problem and pickle eating skills. <laughs> he ate so many pickles until they finally said, stop, stop, we'll make you a guitar. We'll do it. <laughs> we give up. Pickle King. Well, that's all I've got about the album cover. I just, I knew you wouldn't recognize it as the periodic table. And I think it's interesting that they did that. What if I did? What if I said that? Uh, I was like, the periodic table. You'd be like, oh, wow. Well, then I would have been surprised and said, good job. Would you have been impressed? No. Oh, you could have said yes since I wasn't. You could have lied to me there. <laughs> okay, fair point, fair point. Yes. Not too late now. <laughs> well, let's talk about these songs. We've got 13 tracks to get through. They're very acoustic-y. Very good stuff. They are. So let's get into this album. With No Such Thing. Oh my gosh, you didn't even do it. I'm sitting here waiting for... Oh, 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 oh. Let's spin it. You keep wanting a catchphrase, and the ball is just consistently dropped. Not true. Sometimes it's caught at the wrong moment. I just think you're not meant to have a catchphrase, that's all. But I want one. Then you gotta remember it. <laughs> I feel like it's like that situation where like the kid's like, I want a dog. It's like, no, because I'll be stuck feeding and watering it and taking it for walks. <laughs> you won't ever... I'll be stuck making... Making you say your catchphrase. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yes, the first track on the album is No Such Thing, John Mayer's breakout single. And uh, here's the little spin cycle trivia tidbit for you. Yeah. Kanye West claimed that No Such Thing was a big inspiration for his college dropout album. Weird. I, right? I know. I had the same thought. <laughs> Basically, he was inspired by the idea of the song, that there's no such thing as a right way to do things. You know, there's no box we mm. need to fit into, no path that we all need to follow. He was like, I can take this idea and do it worse. I mean, he said I could take this idea. Yeah, some would say. In his own words, he says, no such thing is about a kid who's tired of being told to stay inside the lines. So mm. that's kind of where he's at. Then the first verse, he describes what people think he should be doing, right? Plotting his life out in black and white. Take a seat. Welcome to the real world. People are really kind of trying to put his life on rails. But the chorus, he kind of breaks free and tells us how he's really going to do it. Running through the halls and screaming, probably after eating a spicy pickle. <laughs> Again, because I wasn't aware of John Mayer, really, I didn't know what really to expect. Yeah, how did the song whet your appetite? I didn't mind it. Okay, that's a good endorsement. Did not mind. It, uh, well, we'll, we'll talk as we get through the album. Sure. I like it as an opening track. I think it does kind of set the scene pretty well. Maybe a little bit thematically, but more so sonically in a big way. The rest of the album sounds just like this song. Almost all of it. A lot of major seventh chords in there. Kind of give it a nice little, I don't know, hollowish sound to it. And his voice. This is probably a thing that you had a thought about. But he never really changes his intensity level. Correct. The way that he sings and the way that he plays is pretty constant throughout this song and this album. And that's not a thing I take issue with on any individual track. But for 54 minutes of this whole album... As a whole. Mm-hmm. It does feel a little stagnant. Yep. I said we'd talk as we got through the album, but I guess we'll talk now. That was exactly the argument I was going to make. I was going to be like, I didn't mind it here. And I didn't really, I never really minded it anywhere. But by the end, I was exhausted. Yeah. And that was because I was trying to just make my way through the exact, like, you know, no, there was no movement at all. Yeah. And he, he sings with the same voice and same inflection every time. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't vary. And I guess if you like that, then this album has plenty of it. Yeah. Good for you. I do like his lyrics writing style though yeah i like his lyrics a little bit some of these lines are really interesting like all of our parents are getting older i wonder if they've wished for anything better while in their memories tiny tragedies some of his lyrics make less sense 
in other places, but I think on No Such Thing, they're really good. Pretty good. And I like the matter-of-factness on the bridge and other places on this album. He doesn't beat around the bush a lot. He's able to say things in an interesting way without meandering to them. In the bridge, he just says, I'm invincible as long as I'm alive, which is a cool thought and kind of a good way to illustrate taking the reins into your own hands and living life your way. And then he closes with an image of how he plans to bust down the doors and dance on the tables at his high school reunion. Did he actually do that? No. What the heck? What the heck? Should have went, busted down the door, got up on the tables and been like, I'm the Pickle King! Well, if he had been the Pickle King, if that hadn't been a lie... (laughs) Maybe he would have. I mean, he still could have done it. (laughs) True. Up next is the second song on the album, Why Georgia? And it's one of my favorites, I think. I would put a claim in for Why Georgia. I think it's a strong track, especially thematically, to follow up No Such Thing, because he spends so much time musing on whether he's living his life right and wondering about the outcome of his life. Like, are the decisions that he's making, whether he's inside the lines or not, you know, whether he's doing his own thing or not, are they the right decisions? Where is he heading? That's kind of the heart behind Why Georgia. Yeah. That guitar riff is just so much fun to listen to and to play. I like it a lot. It's one of the better guitar parts on this album, as far as a a rhythm guitar goes. John wrote the song when he was living in Atlanta, and word on the street is that he actually was driving down 285 when he thought of that lyric, you know, driving up 85 in the kind of morning that lasts all afternoon. Mm -hmm. He was playing a gig at a bookstore, and he forgot his guitar. Now, how on earth you go to a music gig as a guitar player, like primarily, and don't have your guitar is beyond me. But that's what he did. (laughs) There's a line in that first verse that made me giggle, and I kept giggling through the whole song. And it's just because I misinterpreted it the first time I heard it. Okay. It's the line, four more exits to my apartment. Oh, so he's talking about being four freeway exits away. Yes, yes, he absolutely is. But in my mind, I heard it. I was like, oh, wow, he's got four ways to leave his apartment. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Windows and and doors and fire escapes. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, man, it's because there's like four more. It's like, what'd you do? Add a bunch? Like, how many did you have to begin with? He cut some holes in the walls. (laughs) No, that's not what he meant. I assure you. And of course, I instantly, like with the next one, I intended to keep the car and drive. I was reminded of what the context of the lyrics were but it still made me giggle the entire song yeah i guess i never thought about it that way because why would i have thought about it that because why but, would you yeah yeah <laughs> but i guess sure um it could be open to interpretation it's really not i like verse two a lot he says i rent a room and fill the spaces with wood in places to make it feel like home but all i feel is alone It's a really cool illustration for that kind of impermanence, this little bit of a physical, visual representation of all the uncertainty that's in his life at this point. You know, where am I going to go? I don't know. I just have this temporary space full of temporary furniture to try and make myself belong in this situation. I like why Georgia. Up next is track three, My Stupid Mouth. As the story goes, he wrote the song about losing a pickle competition. (laughs) Stupid Mouth couldn't eat enough pickles. Dang it. Couldn't fit them in there. Stupid Mouth. This song is about a bad first date. You're doing great. Everything's going well. And then you put your foot in your stupid mouth. He says the wrong thing. She gets upset. He gets flustered. And basically, he torpedoes this potential romance that, until this point, was seemingly doing okay. And like I mentioned, you know, real-life interviews have kind of landed him in hot water more than once. So I think we can pretty safely assume this song is personal. Yeah. 
What's interesting too is this a change in his lyrical style. It's a, a pivot away from the metaphors and stuff in No Such Thing in Why Georgia, right? These figurative, non-literal languages. And he moves towards this way more vividly descriptive set of lyrics about things that are actually going on. Yeah, I kind of liked it. Yeah, I do too. It's a nice change because it kind of puts us in that moment with him. I like the chorus. I'm never speaking up again. It only hurts me. I'd rather be Mm -hmm. a mystery than she deserts me. It reminds me of that saying about how it's better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and be known to be one or however it goes, you know? Yeah. He also does that kind of wispy, higher pitched falsetto voice that sometimes I've complained about in the past. I like it. I think it fits his style. It really does. He can execute it well. The other thing I like is the way that we end that chorus. I'm never speaking up again starting now. And everything does kind of fade off for a second. And then he cuts back in. One more thing. Like he instantly breaks that vow of silence, swears off talking, and then just can't keep his stupid mouth shut. I thought you were about to say that he says, I'm never speaking up again starting now. And then you're like, and it does start to trail off down the rest of the album. I thought you were about to just diss the entire rest of the album. No. (laughs) No, just that part specifically where it kind of shows what he's trying to describe as he continues to sing verses after starting to not speak up. How'd you feel about track four? Another one of John Mayer's greatest hits, Your Body is a Wonderland. I liked it too. Most popular song on the album. It is, yeah. And it's one of the most talked about. I mean, I've seen it joked about in movies and TV shows. It's kind of become a bit in its own right. There's speculation that he wrote this song about his then-girlfriend Jennifer Love Hewitt, but she has denied that. Mayer says it's about his first girlfriend. Ah. And I've heard a rumor that there are some interesting original lyrics out there that he had to clean up before recording the song, and let's just leave it at that. Interesting. It was a little more specific. I see. He told Rolling Stone, he said, it's not about hot girls. It's about a girl who does it for you. People are always thinking it's a makeout song, but really it's about loving every part of someone like they're a jungle gym. (laughs) Which is a weird analogy, I think. Yeah, it's pretty weird. The guitar part's nice, though. I also like the guitar and the instrumentals on this one a lot. Feels very airy, very floaty. The other thing I noticed is that line in the first verse where he says, your skin's like porcelain, and it reminded me of the Red Hot Chili Peppers episode and the song Porcelain, where that's kind of the main idea of it. So much fun to see the differences in where things take us. Yours went to a very normal, you know, reference to something we've talked about on the podcast. You said the line, and instantly I thought of the porcelain girl from the Wizard of Oz prequel. Uh. (laughs) The one with James Franco? Yeah. What a weird place to go. (laughs) I know, that's what I said. I said I just love the differences in how our brains work. Maybe you're still stuck on Yellow Brick Road from last week. Mm, That must be it. I'm going to cautiously let that slide. weird the other thing that i like that kind of ties the song to the rest of the album is that he even recycles a quick little i'll never speak again from my stupid mouth he brings it back but yet he still keeps speaking for another he like sure is nine tracks or still whatever. speaking he is just always buzzing isn't he just like neon like a neon sign i like neon a lot that's track five eh eh no, I like that. I guess it's just not my favorite song called Neon. Okay, very specific. How many other songs called Neon do you know? Uh, At least one. It's Chris Young's Neon, the country song. Oh, okay. That's an interesting pick. Which is better. 
Mm, I don't know if it is. Oh, no, it's good. The the hook on the chorus and everything of that song, so much better than this one. Especially wow. when I this song's been washed out by the four that came before it. Because, again, we're still on that straight line of intensity and style. He's flatlined, yeah, and Neon continues the trend. I don't know. I think, for me, I've always loved that like quasi-jazz guitar part on this one. Oh, I like that. It's got really cool syncopation to it, and I like that the song's got a lot of cool light imagery in it. The song's about a girl who's buzzing or getting drunk, just like Neon on a bar sign so it's a really cool metaphor but then the light imagery right the sky gets dark enough to see the colors of the city lights a trail of ruby red and diamond white hits her like a sunrise talking about how she's waking up as the city's going to sleep the cars on the highway hit her like a sunrise and she's really starting to come alive at this time when everything is winding down plus i i guess i like the simplicity of the chorus there's not much Mm. to it who knows how long she can go before she burns away not much to the other one either just him holding the word neon out (laughs) neon the buzz i like to be on (laughs) i guess there are some real (laughs) lyrical similarities aren't there now that you you mentioned that and looking at it chorus for chorus (laughs) hmm well, this song, you know, it kind of illustrates how this girl's a heavy hitter who just dives deep into everything from her music to her drinks. She's always a buzz with energy and life. And who knows how long she can go on? It's a cool image. Do you know any other songs called City Love? Um, no. Okay, so this is your favorite song called City Love, then. Congratulations. Not necessarily. Oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. I actually do like this one, because this is a song that gives us the clo- one of the closest things we're going to get to a change in elevation on this flat line. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. The, the, the instrumental style is a little different on this one. It's more drum heavy. Mm-hmm. So I liked it. This one kind of woke me back up. It does. It leans more into his blues side. Yeah. It's less of a singer songwriter pop song. I know a song called city of love, but it's not the same. Nope. I think this song is really cool. You know, he moves to the big apple moves to New York city and he describes in a few words, how lost and confused he was to be in such a big new place without much around to keep him grounded. But then he meets a girl in the city, a girl named Lydia who starts to take him around and show him all the wonders and the sights. And so he develops this kind of parallel city love, love for the city with his city love, the girl. And it's a really neat little lyrical trick that I like a lot. And I think that kind of culminates in that last lyric of the chorus. I can't remember life before her name. One of the song's bigger hooks. And it's kind of calling back to that sensation, you know, being lost without her quite literally and now he's developed this love for the city and the lifestyle, and he can't really ever go back to the time before he knew it. It will never be an unknown sensation to him again. It's mostly imagined and fictionalized, of course, and I think people have pretty much agreed that there's not a real Lydia or a character who plays that role in John Mayer's life. But nonetheless, I think the song is a really great reflection on not only how you change when you're with someone new and how you learn from them, but also it's a great overview of how you embrace all the changes that you undergo when you experience a new place for the first time. I like City Love. It's not a sing-along song. No, it's not. But it's a really interesting, introspective song. Yeah, I liked it. Like I said, it woke me up a little bit. Me too. And then I went right back to sleep. You went right back to sleep on track 7, 83? 
Yeah, we were just right back into that same groove we've been stuck in. The rut. Yeah. Well, 83 is a song about John Mayer's youth and what it was like being a kid just six years old in 1983. And he describes the way he remembers that time, you know, walking home when everything is frozen in front of me, kind of stuck in that era. He gives a little shout out to the police and their song Wrapped Around Your Finger, which is actually really cool that he would eventually go on to tour with Sting, someone who clearly influenced him from a young age. I think that kind of reminiscence is really nice, but it also lands a little flat. It doesn't do much for me, the first verse and talking about how everything used to be. What really makes this song stick in any fashion at all is that chorus and the setup, how he frames it as, these days, I wish that I was six again and wishing life was more like it was at the start of me. Like, what a powerful phrase. I wish life was the way I remember it when I became who I was, when I started on, like, actually becoming myself. Mm -hmm. It feels very profound. I like that. Verse two though, makes some interesting decisions that I do kind of like. How he says, my brother Ben looks just like his brother John. Like, you're all brothers. So, I don't know. Like, why would you, yeah. It's interesting to put that distance in there by saying his brother. It kind of gives this line an unexpected flavor. It does. And then we move on to this part that I like too, where he kind of insinuates, even if you rip up the floors, you change the whole house, you mix everything around, I'm still so deeply tied to this place, down even into the dirt. Pieces of me, like, remain. And that's awesome. That's a really interesting image, and I think the song's a neat way to portray it. The outro, though, I mean, whatever happened to my lunchbox, that one loses me a little bit. Does it? I I get it. I get it, but it feels out of place on this song. From a musical standpoint, uh, it didn't bother me, but I wasn't really trying too hard. Fair enough. Do you know what happened to your lunchbox? I still use it. Oh, look at you go. The Incredibles. Take it to work every day. Wow. That's not true. (laughs) I would have believed it. I really would have believed it. I don't want all of our fans out there thinking I go to work every day with a six-year-old Incredibles lunchbox. You know what else I noticed about this album? I mean, it's not really a lot, but it just feels like a lot because they're back-to-back. A lot of number-titled songs. We move from 83 into 3x5. One of the worst picture sizes. Wow, is it? That's I don't a... know. I just wanted to be controversial. <laughs> hot take. Hot take from Spin It. Three by five. It's a mediocre picture size. That's the size. Is that is that wallet size? Is your wallet five inches big? I guess. Yeah. No. No, no. Oh, no. No, you're right. Three by five is a dumb size. You're right. No, I, I'm right. Three by five, stupid <laughs> size. <laughs> It is kind of a dumb size. Yeah. Three by five, dumb. Get it out of here. Get it out of here. It's a weird ratio. Well, the song is about traveling and memories and photographs. So yeah, hence the photocentric title. It's about the size of the pictures. He starts it off like a little letter. He says, sorry, I didn't send any pictures. I'm not photogenic. I just didn't bother bringing my camera because I'm, quote, hoping I would see the world through both my eyes. And yeah, maybe he's not photogenic. He doesn't take his camera when he's supposed to take a picture. He doesn't take his guitar when he has a gig. He's just forgetting things yeah he is basically yeah he's just trying to go have these experiences on his own and not be distracted by the camera or trying to take pictures because the pictures never do it justice and that's his big thing is he's trying to find ways to describe his experiences in letters and kind of finding that ineffective and so he says you'll be with me next time i go outside no more three by fives like this is something i want to experience but more importantly i want to experience it with you which i think is really sweet yeah As far as the song itself goes, I'm not particularly attached to it. It feels a little longer than it needs to be. But it does have a kind of a a pep to it and a little bit of a bounce that a lot of these other songs are kind of missing. I agree. 
lot of walk-ups and walk-downs. I know I was hating on the picture size, but... The picture size, not great. The song, okay. The song, all right. Yeah, and that's kind of how you felt about most of this album, it seems, right? Yeah. It hasn't seemingly ever blown you away so far, but also, it's never really let you down. Yeah, except for this next song that pissed me off. Love song for no one, huh? You didn't like that? Why? It started off with this big, intense guitar riff. And I was like, finally! And then the minute he starts singing, it all strips back to that rut. I was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) It faked you out. You're so right. It starts with a really kind of gritty electric guitar riff. It's a little a little dirtier than the normal acoustic kind of bit. But then, yeah, he does scale it back in and starts to sing. And he tries to salvage it with the chorus, but it just never reaches that height that the intro had. No, that's true. This song is that now kind of tropey sentiment. I'm writing this song for a future partner. I think I've seen a lot of other people do that, especially in recent days. And I don't know that this version is particularly well executed. It's honestly a little bit selfish. He frames this in the lens of, I'm tired of being alone, so hurry up and get here. Which is a little bit impatient, you know? Kind of naggy. I don't know if that's the right foot to start your, you know, future relationship on. Yeah. It's not like uh, I just haven't met you yet, where he's just Michael Bublé saying about all the ways he's going to treat that person right. That's when he's just like, get here already, dang it. I'm sick of this. I'm so (laughs) tired of being alone. Yeah, right. Exactly. See, I made a reference to a song from another album that we've done on the podcast. It wasn't some weird pop culture reference. That makes no no sense. We have to dip back into the James Franco movie catalog. But we could. Could we? I don't know if we could. Uh, I don't know. It's a challenge accepted. I've seen approximately two James Franco movies. Which two? So, the isn't he in a Spider-Man? Yeah, he's in all three of the original Spider-Man. Oh, so I've seen three James Franco movies. Have you not seen all three of the original Spider-Man? No, I haven't seen Spider-Man 3. Oh, you gotta see that one. I know all about it. Good. He's also in the Planet of the Apes, the first uh, Planet of the Apes movie. The, you know, well, the not Rise the, of the Planet of the, the Apes. first one. You're right. The, like, the reboots that they did back in, like, two, the yeah. 20. 10 or whatever kind of silly to call him reboots because apes don't wear boots he's in why him that was a good one never heard of it it's got brian cranston in it anyway what were we talking about <laughs> james franco's movie catalog how, how is this john mayer <laughs> anyway um i think verse three is love song for no one's biggest redeeming or differentiating hook kind of what makes it stand out from all the other love song for no ones that people have written he says i could have met you in a sandbox passed you on the sidewalk i could have missed my chance and watched you walk away you know he kind of asks are you somebody that's already in my life somebody that i missed the opportunity with and is that chance gone for good i think that's a good level of depth to get to in the song and it kind of sucks that it's only confined to this last little verse up next is track number 10 back to you oh we got so many more to go not really. I mean, we're on 10. There are 13. Yeah. I'm just, we're in that rut, and the ruts last a long time. It's an album's worth. I like Back to You, but only for that guitar part. I really like the instrumental work on Back to You. Um, Lyrically, it's kind of whatever. Yeah, I feel like the guitar work on this album is going to salvage the score a little bit for you. It does, in actually a big way. That's most of it. Yeah. The guitar playing. He's a good guitar player. I won't deny that. I will admit that, yeah, his intensity level is kind of off. The production on this album is a little behind, and I think sometimes the lyrics don't necessarily hold up. A lot of times they're pretty interesting, but sometimes they just lose me, you know? But yeah, it really is the instruments that pull this one along. I think Back to You is a weaker song lyrically, especially on the verses. You know, the whole idea is even though we broke up, everything's always coming back to you. 
It's a little lame. I mean, listen, lyrical sample. I tried to forget you, tried to stay away, but it's too late. That's like the chorus. Come on. Your chorus has to be a little better than that, right? Back to You is a song that I do not come back to often. Yeah, this one, listen. At this point, I only got one listen. It was very ruddy. I I was I was done with this album by this point. You were already checking out. Unfortunately. Wow. I wonder if anything in these last couple tracks reeled you back in. What about the great indoors? I like the indoors. Think of all the exits you can have to them. <laughs> Four whole exits <laughs> to the great indoors. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But you know what? This song is all about how he's not going to use any of those four (laughs) exits he just wants to stay inside with the person he loves you know sometimes the world is big and cold and unforgiving and john mayer counters this by illustrating the indoors in a unique way with the shadows playing in the lamplight posters taking the walls away it's very unconfined and free-spirited despite taking place in a confined space he talks about how the tv is a magic window that can transport you anywhere and it kind of feels like someone from the 1920s looking at a tv for the first time it just doesn't land right doesn't sit right with me like okay i know you're inside cool dude and he doesn't even make it sound all that great i'll be honest yeah i feel like i could do a way better job of selling the great indoors yeah it just sounds like an okay indoors yeah uh, mediocre at best indoors well that's not as snappy of a song title but yeah i agree added to connor's heaven and hopping album ideas mediocre at best indoors (laughs) do you ever have those days where you just feel like you're not yourself uh every time we record one of these podcasts yeah sometimes in the middle there you just kind of lose yourself yeah in the middle while you're in the middle while you're playing factor spin i kind of i kind of lose myself interesting well waiting in the void well that's kind of what this next song is about track 12 is not myself it's kind of a song of insecurity he's talking to his partner and asking are you gonna love me on my worst days even when i'm not acting like myself this is another song where the lyrics are kind of lackluster again. It's a short song lyrically, but I don't think the lyrics are full enough to make any kind of an impact. Yeah, and when the lyrics are the only thing salvaging this album for me, when they get lackluster, that's not good. No, the lifeline keeping you alive is fading fast when the lyrics start to go. Yeah. I, there is one exception, I think. I really like, suppose I said colors change for no good reason, and words will go from poetry to prose in verse two. I think that's an okay lyric, talking about sometimes things just happen. I don't, I can't explain it. Are you prepared to like sit with me and work with me through those times? It's very interesting, but mostly I'm kind of meh on not myself. Mm, I agree. Yeah, and we close with the album's longest track, the five minute and 21 second St. Patrick's Day. It's It's all about wanting to find love for the holidays, but also knowing that it's probably just something fleeting and it will be gone by St. Patrick's Day. Because, you know, I guess that's the last holiday (laughs) on the, you know, big holidays calendar. But he seems to think that this relationship is safe until then because nobody wants to be alone at Christmas. Nobody wants to be alone at Thanksgiving. Not in that order. Uh, You know, nobody wants to be alone on New Year's. Yeah, and then, you know, then you got the New Year's and then that bleeds into Valentine's Day and you can't break up with somebody for that. You skipped over, I mean, yeah, and President's Day. Come on. Yep, yep. No one can be alone on President's Day. You got that little bit of window between President's Day and Easter. Yeah, that's when the breakups happen. St. Patrick's Day, (laughs) right in the middle. (laughs) It's an interesting concept, and I think it's kind of clever. It's a clever perspective, and I don't know if I've ever thought of relationships like that, I guess. Is that a thing people do? Of of what? Of just being, like, for the holidays? I don't know. Is that a thing people do? Um, I think it's less of it being, like, for the holidays and more, you know, the relationship you're in. You're, you've already basically made the decision. It's over. But you're in that weird period 
period where it's going to be devastating to the person if you end it. And so you kind of coast through it until you get past the holidays. Okay. You know, like, you're, you're six months into the relationship. You just met the family at Thanksgiving or whatever. And then you're just kind of, like, not into it anymore. But you're like, oh, but I just met the family and Christmas is coming up. And, and then, like, January hits and it's like, that's their birthday and you can't do it then because then you look like a monster. So it's mm. like, it's that kind of thing. That was our slash suspiciously specific oh don't worry no that's never happened with me i've never had a relationship last that long so okay well <laughs> what you need to do is we're coming up on thanksgiving so like yeah i need to find one yeah hurry up now and then you'll be good till saint patrick's day you'll be trapped how many months is that a couple let's just say let's just say november december january february right nope my longest is six months so that's still not good enough oh you should have started sooner i really should have make up a new holiday put up put a new holiday between saint patrick's day and like fourth of july that doesn't what that doesn't get me anything it gets you another holiday <laughs> the problem is that saint patrick's day isn't good enough it needs to be something like right next to saint patrick's day mm, okay mixtaper day mixtaper day when would mixtaper day be i don't know but i'm sorry i suggested it let us know on social media <laughs> in the comments whatever anywhere you can get a hold of us tell us when you think mixtaper day should be and we'll celebrate it next year yeah i really like the closing lyric though i will say that's kind of a redeeming part of the song he says if our always is all that we gave and we someday take that away it'll be all right if it was just until saint patrick's day it's kind of resigning yourself to the fact that everything is temporary and impermanent and just living in the moment you know it's okay smile because it happened don't cry because it's over or do or do whatever you want it's saint patrick's day and that's uh it's the album pretty much 13 tracks right there indeed we pretty much covered a lot of things that i had to say so let's get into final spin and talk about scores i like how sometimes you do that and sometimes you don't <laughs> i could be guessing like you never know yeah keep you on your on your toes music on this album is almost certainly its strongest point mm, i scored it second highest but i think the music is the strongest element to this album i like this jazz and blues infused pop i like the acoustic kind of sound and he is a great guitar player so Music, I'm giving an 88. Lyrics are okay. Uh, there are times when my patience with them starts to wear a little thin. But sometimes, especially early on in this album, before you check out of it, great lyrics. I love stuff like City Love, Why Georgia, you know, Neon. Stuff that uses these really cool metaphors to tell pretty engaging stories. The back half of the album does start to sag a little bit. Mm, love Song for No One, Great Indoors, Not Myself. Eh, I'm less than lukewarm on. But I'm giving lyrics an 85 overall. Mm. Instruments and production, boy, I, it is just an intensity issue for me. This album really does flatline, and it's that way the whole way through. The parts where you think he's going to change it, is he's just, just baited you. It's just a fake out. I'm giving instruments and production a 77. And overall vibe, I mean, this album is nothing if not consistent. I think it's cool to see where John Mayer starts, and I think it's interesting to, if you're familiar with the music that influenced him, you can find places where that shines through, and that's really cool. It's a quaint little album, and to me, this really feels like 2001. I think it does feel a little dated in kind of a bad way, but it's not awful, you know? I'm giving the overall vibe a 90. Oh, wow, okay, that's surprisingly high. It is surprisingly high, but I don't know. There's not really much on this album that breaks the vibe. I feel like once you check in, you're kind of on for the ride till the end of it. There's 
there's nothing that really doesn't fit like a glove into this 13 track set that's true it's a little long and a little draggy but you know if this is what you like it is perfect and that puts the overall score at an 87.4 landing it at number 184 and it maybe is higher than it should be yeah i admit i think the the music is just too good sometimes we disagree right on an album on where it Mm -hmm. should be score wise but like i think that's too high for you like regardless of my feelings on it i think that's higher than i would have anticipated you giving it i mean that's fair i'm just enamored by guitar players i think i think this album wows me a lot in that department and so the rest of it i'm maybe a little more lenient towards yeah my playlist pick is probably going to be why georgia oh wow okay is that a surprise to you i guess that is the one you said had the best guitar playing wasn't it i really like it yeah fair enough for me i think it's pretty obvious i was not enamored by this album or his guitar playing no you were denamored. i was checked out by the latter third of the album my top three in album order my stupid mouth oh okay wow your body is a wonderland thank you city love and three by five what it's an awful picture size it is but it's a mediocre at best song it's <laughs> is three by five your honorable mention it is it is my honorable okay. mention it doesn't deserve to be in the top three i don't think no it does not but it gets the honorable mention i'm surprised you skipped over no such thing in why georgia yeah i don't know for me the way i kind of did it was i liked my stupid so your body is a wonderland obviously like in my opinion like the best song on the album and mm. probably my playlist pick i think okay. i agree with the majority of fans on that being the best song on the album uh my stupid mouth was kind of the best of the first third and then city love you know woke me back up and then three by five also kind of had that uh, it was a little different like with the drums and stuff so that's kind of how those two got in fair enough but i do think the first third of the album the no such thing through your body is a wonderland those four songs are the best section of the album i don't know i'd extend it to city love personally but yeah yeah but you got neon sitting in there is the problem for me i like neon i know you do but other neon is better (laughs) that's comparative as for my playlist pick like i said i think it's going to be your body is a wonderland your playlist picks a wonderland (laughs) and my score drum roll please i'm gonna guess Oh, go ahead. Take a guess. Okay. I'm going to guess five above Pixie Queen. Five above Pixie Queen. Wrong. Wow. Okay. This one, in a shocking turn of events, doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Needs to take notes from Kanye West because this is getting a four. It's below uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy on my list. So top of the fours. No, it's going between America and Cheap Thrills. Okay. So beats Janice. Doesn't beat 30 Seconds to Mars. (laughs) That is sad. As someone who has Janice beating 30 Seconds to Mars by a... (laughs) long shot oh that one hurts just take another little piece of her heart (laughs) and i think fittingly enough since the score is a four i'm gonna give this one four exits to from the great indoors four Four great indoors four more exits to the great indoors (laughs) well perfect you just want to get out i see get out of this album yep that's only your fifth score lower than a five indeed in all these 71 episodes you've only dipped below a five four times now five now five yeah so i said it's uh it doesn't happen often that somebody needs to take notes from kanye well kanye took notes from john mayer so maybe that's where everything went wrong i've talked about in the past how i think i would have given kanye a lower score than a five if it hadn't snuck in in episode three 
but I still think everything that's below Kanye would stay below Kanye. So it's just their scores would also go down. You know what I mean? Oh like, gosh. like I think everything that's below Kanye deserves to be below Kanye. Fair enough. But yeah, we're going with four. All right. We've got a fun thing this week. We have a fan factor spin. Oh, yes, that's right. Well, that's a new thing we're doing. This is our second one. We had one way back. Yeah, we did. We did one on our year anniversary. Yeah. The, the Radiohead episode. We need more of them. I love these. I like them a lot, too. You can email it to us. You can get in touch via the website. You can find a way to send us two audio clips. The first one should be the fact as you present it. The, the, the supposedly true fact. The alleged fact about any artist we've talked about. Any information that you think that we need. Yeah, and the second clip should be the answer, whether it's a fact or a spin and why. So, that said, we've got one this week. I believe it's about Ice Nine Kills from Mixtober. Ooh. Yes. Should we get the mixtaper in here? No, he doesn't have any part of this. Oh, okay. And I will, I suppose, begrudgingly remind you that our scores are individual this time. Mm. Um, and last time we played our fact about Lil Nas X, you got it right and I got it wrong. So without further ado, let's listen to this week's Ice Nine Kills Fan Factor Spin by Felix from Ohio. Fact or Spin. Ice Nine Kills is banned from setting foot on any kind of Disney-owned property. Back in August of 2019, Ice Nine Kills was on tour with a fellow band, Falling in Reverse, and they were set to perform at the House of Blues in Disney Springs in Orlando, Florida. Disney then promptly took them off of that date, and when they were asked why... They said that Disney banned them from performing that night because they were deemed too evil for children. What? Uh, right? And not only were they banned from performing that night, but they were no longer allowed to step foot on any kind of Disney-owned property, meaning they couldn't go to Disney World or anything of the sort. No way. Dang. Interesting. <laughs> wow. So Ice Nine Kills is banned from Disney everywhere. Everywhere. For apparently no reason? I don't know if that means they're just... For, well, I mean, just for being... Too much for kids. Too evil for children. <laughs> yeah. The happiest place on earth will have none of that. Kind of ironic. Wow. So I wonder if they showed up individually, if they could go. Oh. Or if it's just the band. I mean, they're still a member of Ice Nine Kills. I don't know. I think I, We kind of got like a... Like a Beach Boys situation here. <laughs> yeah, we got a Beach Boys situation going on here. What's interesting to me about this is... I don't... Again, I don't know how tricky our fans are going to be to us. Because I could totally see the being banned from performing at Disney and any Disney properties, but the being like not allowed to come to Disney. <laughs> yeah, that one. That's hard. <laughs> that's where it's like, ooh, is that where they've now, you know, pulled a mixtaper and added some spin to a true fact? I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I am leaning towards this being a spin, actually. Really? I think I am, and I think it's for exactly the reasons that you just said. Because I said all that, but I was about to say, with all that said, I think I'm going to go with fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I do think being banned from performing is one thing. But but do they just ban people for being evil? I mean, are other people banned from Disney for just being evil? Well, I don't know. I'm going to definitely look that up if after after this, though, if this <laughs> I, is true. I, I That seems unlikely, because they didn't do anything. They didn't violate any rules. If this is true. I think the mixtaper has a new go-to thing to check when... <laughs> See, he's banned from Disney. 
I guess we'll have to wait and see. I'm going to lock in that this one's probably a spin. Well, I'll give you the chance to tie it up then by going fast. No, what that really does is just give you the chance to get another point. Well, as I said, either I extend my lead or we tie it up. I'm just saying I'm ahead, so I could just always pick the same as you and never lose. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. So, Well, let's see what we've got. Let's listen to the answer. This is... A true fact. Yes! <laughs> Not only wow. were they taken off of the program for that night at the House of Blues, they were indeed banned from ever stepping foot on Disney-owned property afterwards. And luckily, the guys took it in stride. They even poked fun at it by releasing some merch that was only available for a month, where they took Disney characters and dressed them up as horror movie characters, such as Mickey Mouse's Freddy Krueger, there was Goofy as Leatherface, Minnie Mouse's Carrie, and so on and so forth. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> And not only could you find it through their regular merch site, they even got their own website called TooEvilForChildren.com where you could find the merch as well. At least they got some fun out of it, right? That feels like they got a cease and desist from the mouse. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I can't believe that. That's awesome. Disney just bans people for being evil, I guess. I guess. I can't believe it. Uh, The mixtape has a new goal to get banned from Disney. Disney makes villains. Yeah. What? I don't understand. And they're all banned. (laughs) Maleficent, get out. (laughs) But you can't do anything to get banned from Disney. You just have to be evil enough. Well, yeah, that's uh, he's got his doctorate in evil. So I see. Yeah. He now wants to get on this on the on the no fly list at Disney. (laughs) Right. Wow. I did not see that coming. But with that. I am 2-0, and oh, and you are ON2 on Fan Factor Spin. Mixtaper wow. needs to take notes from the fans. <laughs> I guess. Wow, that surprises me. Genuinely, that is wild. Well, I guess that's going to do it for this episode. Tune in next week for another exciting round of Spin It. More Factor Spin facts. And hey, remember... Follow us on social media. Yes. I'm not going to pretend to try to get them right. Okay. Yeah, you can check out our socials. We are on Instagram at SpinItPodOfficial, on Twitter at SpinItPod, and on the web at www.spinitpod.com. The Mixtaper told me to remind everybody that you can go follow him on Twitter at the underscore Mixtaper. Bravo, good job. I know what it is. He doesn't know what it is. That's right, that's right. (laughs) And we'll see you next week for another fun episode of Spin It. Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Have a great week, and until next time, keep spinning. Keep spinning. I feel like Pickle King is another one of those podcast highlights <laughs> that's just going to be something that I always look back on fondly. Yeah, that was an instant classic kind of moment. The Pickle King! Oh, there's pickle milk out there. What? Yeah, have you heard of that where it's like pickle-flavored milk? That's gross. I think you can combine two spinach bits into one here. Ooh, here's a recipe for pickle milk. Did we get so caught up in what we could do that we never stopped to think about whether we should? In a crock pot or slow cooker, add chicken or vegetable broth, dill pickle juice, chopped dill pickles. Okay. Cute potatoes, onion, celery, and carrots. Nope, nope. T- don't tell people our secrets. Add salt, pepper, and sugar to taste. It's called Pilk Dill Pickle Milk Recipe. You're making pilk in a crock pot? So that's what it says. We've gone too far. Not even the pickle king would drink that. You don't know what he hasn't tried. <laughs>